Let's get ready to rumble! Hello and welcome to Netflix vs. Cinema, the podcast that today has a new, very, very insistent co-host. My name is Tosin and I am the host of the podcast that watches a couple of things in the cinema each week, watches a couple of things on streaming platforms each week and sees where money has been better spent. That's what we do at this podcast and joining me as usual to do this are on the Isle of Wight of Sharon Bollen, Sean Harris. Hello there. <laughs> yes, how are you guys been doing this week? Yeah, good, good. It's all right. Busy, what week? getting ready for the coronation. Oh yes, the coronation, the coronation. Anybody planning anything special for the coronation? We've got a party mm. on Monday. We're not doing our volunteering on Monday. Because um, it's supposed to be party Saturday, Sunday, isn't it? And coronation Saturday, party Sunday, and then volunteer Monday. But we are doing church Sunday and then party on the Monday. So <laughs> we're having a party. I've got people coming around on Saturday to watch it. And then we're, church is going to be, well, church, which is normally fun anyway. <laughs> and then we're getting ready for a party on Monday at the church for anyone who wants to come. All right. Cool. Cool. Good stuff. Good stuff. I have pretty much forgotten that it's happening until people people remind me that there's no work on because it's a bank holiday and I'm like, oh, what? oh, oh, yeah, that thing. <laughs> so, and every now and then I see a sign for a street party. How about you, Sean? Anything for doing anything for the coronation? Uh, mm, not really. Not no. for me. It's not, it's not for me. I'm, I'm afraid I'm a really for me. I mean, maybe possibly, but I just really really loathe camilla with a passion i'm sorry i know a lot of people and i believe i believe i seriously believe that the papers and i you know i, I hate to say this but sometimes i think i see in the future and i i don't mean to sound smug or nothing but i could just tell i mean obviously my mother reads the daily mail and speaks mm-hmm. herself, but they slowly slowly let camilla back in and they started to ingratiate her more and more and more because she was a hated woman she was low but now to be honest with you, I always quite liked her, so um, I'm yeah. quite pleased because I like her. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. She's, she's very marmite, but yeah. well, I think she's well, a, okay. a horrible. Anyway, we can't really talk about. Okay, that. no, no, Sean, Sean, I think, I think that that is your audition for, to become a writer for the next season of The Crown. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I, I mean, I really, really like the Queen, and I'm one of these people that think Charles should have stepped down and and let let William take over. I really, really believe that because uh, it's funny. It's funny, I spoke to many, many students today, about 14 years, and all of them are like, not interested. They're just not interested <laughs> at all. No, seriously, I was quite surprised. I said, they go, oh, what? No, don't really worry about that. Well, so yeah, but... It's the... a dying institution. Well, it, it, me, uh, yeah. Anyway, we don't have enough time for my view. No, 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 no. We, we could be here a while. We could be here a while. So let's go quickly on to... Um, obviously, we go to the cinema, as I say, we see hopefully about three things each week. Usually the the sort of like last bastion fighting for the right of cinema is Sean yeah. on this podcast. He's the one who's always making it to, a, to the cinema. So Sean, I'm going to ask you, what did you see this week? Let's start with that. Okay. What did you see in the cinemas this week? In cinemas this week, I saw The Evil Dead Rise, or last week, we did it last week, so, so a couple of weeks, Evil Dead Rise. Yep. Um, I saw D'Artagnan, Three Musketeers, D'Artagnan. Ooh. I saw Aliens, the director's cut cinema, Green One, the glorious big thing. And it was absolutely packed. Uh, it's a, it's, it was packed. It was a packed. And all those films, when I've been now, Robocop, Aliens. Uh, when did they all the sort of like the sort of like decades anniversary, like twenty fifth anniversary? Yeah, yeah. And it was it was the um, it was the director's cut as well. So it had the the automatic sentries and all the sort of mutes <laughs> family and all that. So it was yeah. I mean. That was an experience. That was lovely. We come out of there like chuffed as monkeys. Um, but I don't think that counts because we, I've seen that before a few times. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I went to see Guardians. Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy. But we're saving that. We're going to save that one because we're, yeah, we're saving that because you you it. must have seen Guardians of the Galaxy last night. We're recording yeah, I did. on I went Thursday to see it last night. Yeah. Yeah. I went because. To a- 350 showing yeah yeah because so. holly isn't here with us today but holly had actually holly had sent a message saying that she had gone to um see guardians and i was like what it's out i actually i 
straight up didn't even realize that the, <laughs> the film had been released because mm -hmm. it, been, it was only released last night. So we're going to keep Guardians until next week. You can never accuse us of not having a finger on the pulse. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're going to leave. We're going to leave Guardians until next week. Um, but this week we're going to. So you said um, Three Musketeers, D'Artagnan, and what's the other one? And the Evil, Evil Dead, Dead Rise. Evil Dead Rise. Sharon, <laughs> what did you see in the cinema this week? I've seen the unlikely pilgrimage of Harold Fry at the okay. cinema. Okay, cool. And how about home? Uh, at home, I have seen season two of Carnival Row, which is on Amazon oh. Prime. Ooh, season two and final. Mm -hmm. yes. of yeah, of, Car of Carnival Row. All right, cool. So we have Three Musketeers. We have Carnival Row. How about you, Sean? Oh, at, on on the screen, I've been catching up on some old stuff, but I have seen a whole lot of The Mandalorian now. Yes, The Mandalorian. Mandalorian. Yes. I have sure, seen that too. Yes, so I've seen I've seen Mandalorian. Um, I also watched. I've been watching some some old movies. I rewatched Alfred the Great. This is 1967 film with David Hemmings about Alfred the Great. And mm -hmm. there was a surprise. I thought I was looking at this young person that was like. I recognise that face. My God, young Ian McKellen. And he's got <laughs> one of the villagers that lives in the fens. I said, that is Ian McKellen. My goodness me. So, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if I like that one or not. Um, yeah. <laughs> Alfred the Great. And I, what was the other one I watched? Oh, Wild Geese. And I started watching one about artificial intelligence. I can't remember what it was called. It was like they were in the room, but I haven't finished yet. Yeah. So, okay, cool, cool, good so. stuff. And the football, and, of course. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, and of course the football. And at home, I have finished a film, or I watched a film called Ghosted on Apple TV+. And um, Ghosted is, it's getting a lot of, well, because it has Chris, it has Chris Evans, fresh off Captain, well, not fresh off anymore, but he was Captain America in the MCU. And it has Sean's former Belle du Jour, Anna Diamars in it. So you have beautiful people doing beautiful things. And so this film has been gathering a lot of um, internet stuff. So I watched Ghosted. So <coughs> let us kick off. Let us kick off. Let's see how do we do this. Ah, yes. Yes, that's what we're going to do. Let's kick off with a film that I would have put money on Sharon being the one to see <laughs> in the cinemas. And this is The Three Musketeers D'Artagnan. D'Artagnan, Three Musketeers D'Artagnan, yeah. yeah. Okay, so okay. Sean, you saw it. Go on, go ahead, tell I us, tell I, us I, about I, it. I think I actually contacted Sharon as well, but she couldn't make it because, I mean, I've decided now, because it's easier to sort of go to a fairly early performance, but with Sharon sometimes she can't make the time. So but I would love her to see this because she's read the book. Okay, so, I mean, most of the story, know the story of the... I'm pretty certain you must know the story of the Three Musketeers. There's like, or, or D'Artagnan, he goes to join the Musketeers, he's going to join the Musketeers, and he gets into a bit of an argument with, with three of them, and he gets, ends up getting in a duel with three of them, and they, anyway, they meet up, and then Cardinal Richelieu's things, uh, soldiers turn up, there's a bit of a fight, and they all get a bit of comradeship, the yep, Three yep. Musketeers and D'Artagnan. Um, and then, obviously, it's... Uh, the, the, the Queen is supposedly having all loves actually Buckingham, I think, who's from England, and to, to show an affection of, of love, she get, leaves some jewels, and Buckingham takes them to England, and the King, the King Louis says, you know, when we get when we have this party, you need to produce. I'll give you, you must show them at the, you must show them at the wedding, um, or at someone's wedding. And so you've got this intrigue. You've got you've got this really lovely spy called Milady, played by Eva Green. Milady uh, de Winter is absolutely fantastic as always. Uh, I think she's uh, I rate her very very highly. Um, yep, yep. And uh, so you've got a lot of intrigue and a lot of uh, action. And it's uh, I mean I I haven't read the book so I don't know, but I would assume that this is probably closer to the book than any of the others. Um, and uh, it's, it's in French. It's all in French with subtitles, with English subtitles. So it's all in French. And I mean, I know a little bit of French and I could understand some of it, but they do go pretty fast. And now I can understand why people say, like when you, you meet foreign people and they say, slow down, slow down. Don't talk, you know, don't talk so fast. And then I can hear you. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, slow down and I can get you. But lucky enough, you've got the subtitles. Anyway, so... 
yeah, so that's the story. And I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. And do you know what I like about it is, you know me, my bananity, yeah. or whatever you call it, when I like things stuff, you know. Yeah. They're musketeers. They use muskets and guns. But in all the other stuff, it's always swords. Yes, they do use swords in this, and they're good swordsmen. But they use muskets, and they are musketeers. You know, yeah. so they're going to use muskets. Yeah. Um, and you know, you know, uh, until this point, moment, I never realized where the name came from. No. Oh, right. Okay. You thought it was just like a like a book, no, no, yeah? No, no, that is not. It, it's never occurred to me. I used to, I used to go. It was one of those things. I used to go. Why are they called musketeers? Oh, never mind. Sword fight. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I mean, there's the whole school where all the musketeers are and they're, they're actually practicing with muskets. And they're, do you know what I mean? It just so happens that these three, D'Artagnan, Dos and Porthos, they, they, are good, they are good swordsmen to boot with the guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's quite a lot of gunplay. And like when he's galloping for, for England, D'Artagnan, they thought they got a horse and they changed the horses. So it's like the old Pony Express where he's, he's galloping away and you know the horse can't the horse can't gallop forever and he yeah, gets yeah. off and gets another horse and he's and i was like mom <laughs> someone's really thought about that you know someone's really thought about that and yeah i mean i think this is a really really class movie and i'm assuming it is a lot more to the novel than than which is why i really want sharon to see it um well so. well this is this is only the first part. There's going to be a second yeah. part that's going to be yes. released later this year. I, I think November or something. Yeah. Milady. And, yeah, and, and this is and the thing about it is that um, this is the first time. Weirdly enough, so you have three musketeers. This great Alexandre Dumas French novel, and this is the first time they've ever actually done a French version of yeah. a french film version of the yeah. three musketeers which i which i thought was madness i was like come on there must have been a silent ver <laughs> what like the french have they've never actually done so all you've ever had is like hollywoodized versions like you know for instance when you talk about Milady the winter as far yeah. as i'm concerned rebecca de mornay will always have a special place in my heart because she was the first Milady the winter i ever saw in the disney version of the Three Musketeers, which I spoke about a couple of weeks ago with Charlie Sheen, Arthur, uh, Oliver Platt, Kiefer Sutherland, Chris O'Donnell as D'Artagnan, which is totally, totally nothing like the book. Is that the one, <laughs> but, with, the, is that the one with like the, the, the balloon ships and all that? Is that the one? Is that one? No, no, I mean, no, they no, did no, one no. with like where they got, they come in balloons and stuff, don't they? I no, think. no, uh, this, this one doesn't have a bit. Oh. Actually, maybe, maybe it does. It's like a big ship, like a big balloon zeppelin. I, 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 I don't think there's a ship, but there's there's definitely a scene of Chris O'Donnell hanging from a balloon, swinging yeah. through like th swinging through a forest or something like that. I think I remember that. It had Tim Curry as Cardinal Richelieu, and he had Michael Winkert as his like you know his right hand man. I, I, and I love that film, even though the mo and and I was even surprised to find out that there were some bits of some, some bits of that film that are in the original novel like him having three duels with the three musketeers and everything like that. So I think it's quite interesting that this is the first time that the French have done it. And I've heard nothing but good things about this film, Sean. So yeah. I'm actually quite happy to hear you say that you enjoyed it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was, um, I th I thought it was really, really well made. Um, as I say, maybe the French have decided, well, enough of these comic, comic, you know, terrifically. There is, there is some light-hearted moments in it. But I think like... Even the ones with Oliver Reed and all those, they were they were okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they were more for laughs than, you know, yeah, and um, Michael York was D'Artagnan. Yeah. yeah. Whereas this, this, so so yeah, so Sharon needs to see it to let me know how close it is yeah, to the so book. I want to see it. I definitely want to try to get in there. And I think there's there's something like there's four books I think involving the different Musketeers and D'Artagnan. Most right. people, uh, most adapters have always been the Musketeers and then Man in the Iron Mask, and they miss all the ones in the middle. So it'd be interesting mm. if the French are going to do them, whether they do the other novels as well, or whether That'd they just stick to mm. the Musketeers and then jump 20 years in the future and do Daniel mm. Mask. Yeah. Okay, so Sean, we know you liked it. How many stars would you give it? I would give it. I would give this a really, really high four-star rating. I mean, the only thing I would say sometimes is probably the thing that was that some of the action scenes, some of the sword play was very much not shaky cam as such, but you know, okay, really, gotcha. not not. Um, it was one of those ones that's that was not all the scenes, not all the, but a lot of the the fighting scenes were just a little bit. Uh, I, 
don't know what the word would be. Um, what could you call it? Haphazard or just like yeah, um, yeah. fast, fast and and um, too fast really to see what. Do you know what I mean? What was, was actually, like, what was actually happening? Too yeah. Much, yeah, too much stuff going on. Too too fast, too furious, sort of thing. Not that I want to make film. You just made me. You just made me think of something. You just made me think of something. Could you imagine if the John Wick guys did a Musketeers movie? What would that look like? Yeah. Oh, mm. never mind. I'll, I'll, I'll keep thinking about that. But okay, okay. four stars for four yeah, stars for three Musketeers. Yeah, no, strong four stars. Yes. Good stuff. Strong four stars for that. And now we will move over to Cin or Netflix and Friends, and we will talk Carnival Row. Carnival Row season two. Sharon. Yeah, um, Carnival Row season two takes off more or less straight away from where season one ended. Just to sort of give you a bit of recap, Carnival Row is set in a world um, sort of pre and sort of mid industrial age. So if you were to talk to us, it'd be like the mid um, 19th century type thing. They've got steam trains, they've got guns, and they've been engaged in this war. But unlike um, sort of our world, um, creatures of mythology actually exist. So you have got fairies, uh, you've got um, fawns and satyrs, and you any number of mythological creatures, but they live in the real world. And there's one of the lands in which the, the fairies have inhabited was has been the source of a, a battle between these two sort of Western, uh, we use our terms, like two Western powers, have been fighting over this land where the fairies live. And um, it has been sort of conquered. So the fairies and other fae folk have been sort of dispersed. And they've ended up in this, one particular land where they have been used as cheap labor. They're immigrants, so they've been they live in like ghettos. They're yep, yep. they they use as cheap labor. They're used as the serving classes. They're not represented in parliament, and there's a growing sort of sense of you know dissatisfaction. And in the first season, all this sort of came to a head when basically all the the faith folk or critch as they're nicknamed are put into this ghetto, a walled ghetto. And the second season starts with basically they're in this ghetto and then they're, they're trying to sort of work out where to go from there. The political parties are trying to, some of them are like pro, sort of like giving the Fae a bit more sort of representation or advancing their rights. And others are like, no, they're a menace. They're just a pest. We need to get rid of these immigrants to our land. They just like take our resources there. There's lots of parallels to what, you know, yeah. <laughs> immigration and sort of racism yeah, uh, and other isms. Um, but there's lots of parallels, but they're sort of using this sort yeah. of construct I, for it. I remember thinking that about the first season of Carnival Row. I didn't see much of it, but I did think that it was a very, very unsubtle parallel to the world today. <laughs> so everyone who's different is one of the Fae, basically. And um, there is, it's a, little, it's a little bit of a blunt tool in that, you know, it's like Fae, good. Everyone else, bad and it's like well actually that's a bit too simplistic isn't it really so i mean i think this season is trying to be a bit more nuanced one of the the countries called the pack has had like a red revolution where led by this fawn who and they have basically created like communism in their in their town and then this sort of revolution is spreading to the other parts of the critch um but like um the first season the main characters are Played by Orlando Bloom and Cara Delevingne, and he he's a half fae. He's half fairy, half human, and she is fae. And they met during the war, and she thought he had died in the war. And then they met up again in uh, in this land, and they sort of they restarted their relationship. But now their relationship, they're beginning to sort of see the strains of it, having how they're um, as much as they love each other they're sort of drawn apart she's got involved in this group called the black raven which is like this sort of radical group that thinks that needs to to um to fight you know use violence use sort of a direct means of sort of um protest to sort of to try to fight the cause of the the, the fae and he's more about he wants to work within the, the system that's there um working within the police or and then possibly politics and so you see this sort of this conflict sort of expands. It becomes a bit more or less about the interpersonal relationships this time, and more about the politics of these the various different states. So you see, yeah, the politics. How someone on the surface it looks like they're pro, fair, and which, but they they're really working for their own ends. 
and others where you think, um, yeah, they're looking at the economic value of the people who live there and the conflicts with other nations, how actually war can be quite good business because it means, you know, you produce weapons and other things and others are looking at, um, they, everyone, all these different parties sort of see it from their own point of view. So you have this sort of quite, this series is much more political. Uh, it's much more about the, you've got these big issues and then when you break it down, there are loads of shades of grey rather than everything being sort of neatly divided into good versus evil. In each of these areas, there's, there's more subtlety. So it's more subtle, but a bit more complicated and much more political than the first season. So, so it, it does more of a Game of Thrones than, let's say, the first season did. Like, you know how there's shades of grey as opposed to black and white. Yes, that's right, yeah. And the first season, I think, was um, was more about the sort of, not the romance of it, but it was more romantic in that it was about these two people sort of finding themselves again. And there was another couple who was, he was a fawn and she was like a, a privileged sort of you know, white lady with uh, who, like I said, it's like this sort of mixed race, as it were, or mixed species in this case, sort of relationship. And, and this time you see this sort of how that's a bit more strange in this season because other influences come to bear. And there, and there, and there was a there was an underlying sort of murder mystery sort of thing running through it. And in this case, there is again, there's another like some horrible murders are happening, and they're trying to work out what the cause of them is. So you've got this sort of dual sort of sort of timelines and tell them stories. But no, it was good. It was yeah, more complicated, more um, more political, uh, but slightly less sort of romantic. There was the odd you know, sort of you know amorous encounter. Um, yeah. But it, it was more. It was less of a, of a. As a yes, yeah, so the romance wasn't. There wasn't the mo the most dominant storyline in it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. so, yeah. It's oh, interesting. Oh. It's I. It's worth a watch if you like your fantasy and sort of like world building fantasy. It's certainly worth exploring because it's look at all the different elements within how you build a world. It's like the politics, the religion, the sort of the social economics, the. Uh, the work, yeah, it's sort of the different cultures, verses, and classes. It sort of throws all that in the mix. So it's really interesting from like a world building perspective. If you're interested yeah. in that sort of thing. Um, so, is, so is it like a ghetto where all the all the fey are? It's just yes. it's like a ghetto. They've been, moved, they, they've been confined into this sort of yeah, ghetto after the, the last season where this, this a, a big a big thing happened, and so okay. all of the fey have been told right, you have to live here, and you can is only it... come out if you have like a pass. If you don't have a pass. You're stuck in the ghetto. A bit like the Warsaw ghetto, then. Like the Warsaw ghetto. Yeah. I think also, I'm not sure if they've carried this in from the first from the first season, but I remember like, I remember thinking that Carnival Row kind of looked like where Oliver Twist might live. Yes, it's that sort of mid-Victorian sort of look about it, yeah. where and the women wear sort of the long dresses and the men wear, if they're wealthy, it's like the sharp suits and the hats and the long, the long sort of dress coats and overcoats and the cane. Yeah. And whereas a waistcoat and sort of the, the fob watches, that sort of look. And the wealthy women have got like that, sort of like the end of the Victorian era, because the, the women are like corseted, sort of with like bustles, that sort of look rather than the, the crinoline. So you're looking at the firmly sort of 1880s, 1890s sort of pattern okay. uh, where they've sort of drawn on. But it was, yeah, it's interesting sort of the things they've drawn on to inspire it. And then it sort of draws in that like, the whole Russian Revolution thing is drawn into it with this, um, the pact. Uh, Red Revolution. Mm. Yes, there's interesting uh, parallels to history in there. So obviously, you didn't like the first season enough to come back for the second yeah. season. And the, well, the main question I have uh, well, is, we've already been told that this is the final season. Is it satisfying? It does that whole bit at the end where you see each of the main characters where they are, but it does leave quite a bit left open. It does leave it the door open for you to speculate as about what could happen next so yeah i thought it was interesting it wasn't a complete ending as in that it sort of tied up everything neatly it left a few things open to you to sort of think hmm i wonder what where he's going to end up but no it was certainly worth an interesting yeah it was worth a watch and it was yeah an interesting conclusion rather than an entirely satisfying conclusion all right cool so how many stars would you give carnival royal season two I think I, I didn't like it as much as the first one, I didn't think, because again, you have to pay, <laughs> pay a bit more attention to it. And there's some elements where I was thinking, 
you're labouring the point a little bit here. How does the parallels between um, the, the, the communist revolution and other things? I thought, yeah, this is becoming a little bit um, too obvious. Um, but but, so but me, that that is that is the that's the show's tone. That's the show's reason don't. <laughs> that's the yeah. reason for existing is to labour the point. <laughs> yeah. So it was a little bit, perhaps a bit more heavy-handed. Though there was a couple of unexpected deaths, which I think was quite interesting. It had the whole Game of Thrones thing where some of the have been principal characters, which is probably why you know it's the last season, is because they've got some of them you're thinking, they were like, there's a threat of death. And you're thinking, oh, something's going to happen. They're going to get away at the last minute. And actually they don't. They get a couple of characters who <laughs> die. Good. I like that. And you're like, you know, wow, I didn't actually think you were going to kill them off. Yeah. So that was yeah. interesting that they actually did that, but they probably at that point they knew they weren't going to have a third season. <laughs> so that's probably why they did it. Doesn't matter. No, it was interesting. I'd give it three stars because I liked it, but I didn't think I didn't love it. And I think give it a couple of years, and I'll probably thinking, kind of all right. Oh yeah, I remember that. But it's not going to be one that's going <laughs> to stick with me for a long time. I don't think. All right. So three stars. Three stars for Carnival Row season two. And now you've got we mute go... on me, so I don't know if it's yeah, you've got mute on me as well. I can't hear you. Oh. So right. we can't ah. hear your toes. Oh, well, look. Yeah, sorry about that. I was trying to protect you guys from <laughs> from a giggling two-year-old. I'm not sure if you heard. Oh, her giggling. I'm not sure yeah. if you heard her giggling all the way through your. Or, um, yeah. like there was a bit where she was giggling as you were speaking, Sharon. Apparently, yeah. she thinks Carnival Rose hilarious, even though she's not allowed to watch it because she's way too young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a few scenes. No, you're not watching that. <laughs> you are not allowed to watch that. No, no, Kemi, no. So okay, now let's go on to um, let's go with Evil Dead Rise. Evil so, Dead Rise. Yeah. So Sean, tell us about Evil Dead Rise. I mean, that's a name that I think most people who have watched films would be would be familiar with the first two words of that. Yeah, that's it. Well, the thing is, this is the funny thing. I haven't seen the two original. I haven't seen the the, the original of. of um, I haven't seen the original of, of oh, Evil Dead. Evil Dead, yeah. I haven't Evil seen Dead, the first Evil Dead. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I mean, I'm aware of it, and I know what sort of goes on, and I'm sure in this there are many nods to the original, but I wouldn't. I would. Oh, Sean. Sharon has Sean frozen for you as well. Yes, he has. Okay, cool. So. Anyway, so basically, no, no, it's a groovy okay. girl. Sean, she's Sean, Sean, hang on a second. around a bit. She's up with bands and stuff, and she Sean, becomes pregnant. Sean, we lost you for a moment, there, Sean. We, lo we lost, lost you me. For a yeah, we lost you for Hello? a moment. Okay, and I think now we have a delay. Oh right. Okay, I wonder why that is then. Okay, so okay, Sean, I'm gonna say one, and then you say two immediately after you hear me say one. One, two. Okay, that's all right. K keep yeah. on talking. Okay, okay, talking, but but, but starting from the beginning because we missed up, we missed out everything after you said you hadn't <sighs> seen Evil Dead one or two. Okay, so yeah, I haven't seen Evil Dead one or two, so I'm assuming that in this movie there's a lot of nods to the originals, which I wouldn't know apart from the chainsaw, because I mean that's probably the most famous bit. Um, oh yeah, it's it's one of those things. I haven't seen them either, but there's a lot of things from them that have just sort of entered into the general consciousness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. So I think it's all to do with the Book of the Dead and the Chronicon or something. Anyway, so basically this um, this girl, she's she's a groupie. She she's, she becomes pregnant. She goes to visit her sister, who's a single mother of two kids, and she goes to their apartment. And then there's a bit of an earthquake, and the sort of this the, one of the cracks. Uh, one of the young lad who's probably about I don't know 15, 16. He's a DJ. He's like he's got loads of DJ stuff in his room, and he decides that he's gonna. He finds these these records, these old records, um, these old vinyl vinyl records, and a book which has got some rather nasty pictures in, like like it was. And of course, he's young, so he decides he's gonna play these records. You know, it's like. Why, Why wouldn't you? Go on. <laughs> Yeah, and then the book goes all a bit crazy, and some <laughs> some strange sort of things happen, and people people get possessed and what have you. Um, so yeah, because he doesn't finish the whole ritual thing, you know this this thing. Anyway, so yeah, what can we say about it? Um, it was it was quite fun. It wasn't horror or jumpy or for for me personally, I didn't. I mean, I don't know if other people might have jumped or they they, they tried the the 
old jump scares, you know. But. Yeah, but well, Sean, we know, we know, um, we know famously, like, like nothing scares you. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing scares me. Um, we know that, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but it was it was quite funny and it was quite amusing. And um, I mean, like some of the voices when it goes. Um, I mean, it's in the trailers, a lot of the stuff, you know, mummies with the maggots, and that was, yeah, that was quite funny. Style. So basically, yeah, it starts off with one horrible spirit becoming possessed. Have you lost me again? No, 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 still here. Um, and uh, so it starts off with one spirit becoming a little bit, one spirit, and then some things happen, and some of the neighbours, because it's a big high-rise building, and I like the bit where he goes, oh, this, this thing with a shotgun, he comes out with a shotgun, and tries to shoot this possessed thing and the force doesn't have a lot of effect. It's like, oh, I want to come in. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And so all the neighbours start, you know, all the people, all the neighbours and stuff, they're all starting to become more possessed and all that. And they're all in these really, really weird things, you know, like they've been all crushed and that. And then they go, oh, and they well, all come it, it, back it, together. It, so you've got a lot of that. I don't, I don't watch that many horror movies. Okay. Sorry, I was gonna say I don't watch that many horror movies, but it seems to be like that's the thing now. That now in horror movies, there's yeah. a lot of this sort of contorted limbs thing oh, yeah. that goes on, and they're like you know, and they yeah, have like that's it. And I don't, and having not seen the original Evil Dead, I don't know that if that was originally the Evil Dead movies or whether that's just something that has just come in now as the flavor of how horror movies are made. Yeah, well, I think I think probably that's a lot to do with it because what with the um you know, the, the CGI and all that sort of stuff, they can make it seem quite easy, can't they, really? So, yeah. Um, I don't know if the other ones were supposed to be, like, horror comedies. I've got a feeling they might have been. Well, I think Evil, Evil Dead... Yeah, Evil Dead 2 and Evil Dead 3 were definitely, definitely horror comedies. Like I think, comedy from what I hear, Evil Dead 1 is supposed to be a bit more serious, but Evil Dead 2 is just, like, supposed to be laugh out loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it so, still got Ash, the main character, in it? No, Ash isn't in it. This is like totally. Have you seen them? Have you seen them, um, Sharon? I've seen. I think again, I can't remember. If I've seen them all, but I certainly have seen some of them. But yeah. I, they, they, they're one of those things that it's probably in the eighties when I did see them when they first yeah. came out. So they burned in with every other horror film I saw at the time. I think. <laughs> yeah, it was a real trend, wasn't it? Horror films, slashes and horrors. I, I think. I think eight. I think if you're going to talk about golden age of horror, it was probably the 80s. So like yeah. late 70s going into the 80s. That's the birth that's of when video. the birth of the the home video player basically was like the boom in. Most of them were straight to video, weren't they? Let's face it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah. So on the whole, I'm, I might. I mean, I don't know what the others are like, but I quite. I found this one quite amusing actually. I thought it was. You know, I didn't like hate it or think. I mean. Uh, I saw it for what it was, and it was, yeah, it was it was a bit comedic. You know what I mean? They had the, yeah. a lot of lot of blood. You know, there's obviously a nod to The Shining with like the lift getting full of blood. You know, filling up with blood, and so there's yeah. blood and gore and limbs getting hacked and what have you, and then joining back together again and stuff. So yeah, it was, um, and you know, a lot of the a lot of the dialogue was. Um, quite amusing you know <laughs> speaking that I quite I found that quite amusing so yeah it wasn't um it was better than I expected it was 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 much better than I expected and yeah dare I say I wouldn't say it was like marvelous or out of this world but it was good enough to give me for me to give it a three stars you know and I okay. certainly would, I certainly would um you know would go to see another one of these because yeah it wasn't too bad it wasn't too bad at all but as yeah. I say, there's a lot, lot of blood in it and gore and guts, guts and body popping sort of, you know. That's, that's, that's all of them do that. The guy with the shotgun, the old, he was like an old dude, you know. And then like with the shotgun, he goes, give me my shotgun. You know what I mean? And he sort of, <laughs> he's been blasted. He got half his head hanging off and he's like, oh, yeah, okay. And he picks up the shot, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. It was, uh, it was sort of like, you know, that that seems to be a horror movie archetype. The grizzled old person who's seen it all before and is like, oh, yeah. I remember the Dead-Eyed Invasion of 72. I was there. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, there's, there's one bit where, uh, the chainsaw bit, where she just happens to, they're trying to escape and happens to find a chainsaw, you know, conveniently and, so yeah, obviously yeah. that's that's a, that's a major a major theme well, I think. I, I feel I feel like if it was an Evil Dead movie and if somebody didn't break out a chainsaw at some point, 
I think everybody who went to watch that film would feel cheated. <laughs> so I think like if there's gonna be a, if there's gonna be a chainsaw, I think everyone's just gonna go like, yeah, what else was what else were they supposed to do? <laughs> I'm always amazed at films though. But have you ever tried to start a chainsaw? It's not easy. And they, no. just, do it like they just flick a switch. It's like hey, they're not easy to start. I'd be I'd be dead before I could get. Chainsaw. <laughs> I'm primed it. It's like primed it. Prime it. But then take the safety off and then pop it. Unless, unless you had an electronic chain or an electric chainsaw. Electric one, or, boom. A battery yeah, one, or, then your battery's going to run out, isn't it? Let's face it. Yeah, yeah, your battery is going to run out. But then again, the other one's going to run out of petrol. But I have to admit, it is not as fun. It is not as fun to do that with an, ele with an electric chainsaw. You don't have a cord to pull. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like... It's you like when you have a... It's like when you have a shotgun. You know when you have a shotgun in the movie, that... That's what, half that, yeah. the joy of having a shotgun. It's like, okay, we've got a machine gun that can kill a whole bunch of people. In it, but no, what we're going to use? We're going to use a shotgun. Why? Because it makes that sound and it's cool. Yeah. And yeah. I think the, the same thing with the chainsaw. You pull the cord. I think it's that because when with, with the petrol ones, they tend to sort of, they've got an uneven sound, don't they? They sort of tend to go. They have more character. <laughs> Essentially, essentially, petroleum, pe petrol chainsaws are better actors than electric chainsaws. Is what we're saying. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> they are better <laughs> actors. <laughs> All right, cool. So three stars for Evil Dead Rise, He's which for considering it's a horror movie, that's actually quite big. That's quite good. That's yeah. quite no, it's quite it's quite big praise from Sean. It's quite yeah. big because usually anytime we review a horror movie, Sean just sits down here and goes, oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and then the review continues in that vein. So, so now we go back to Netflix and Friends, this time Disney Plus, and we are going to talk The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian Season 3. So I'm just going to give a little bit of a prosy of what this is about. So The Mandalorian, if you know, this is, is set in, it's set after the first original trilogy of Star Wars movies. So the Empire has cr crumbled, Darth Vader has been killed, the, um, the Death Star's blown up, all that sort of stuff. And then you have this guy who's, he's part of, uh, he's from a planet called Mandalore and there's a bunch of these people. He's part of a sect of these people and they're known for their battle armor. They're known for being warriors and they're known for their battle armor. But his sect of this battle armor, they believe that once you put the armor on, you never take it off. You never show anybody your face. You never show anybody your helmet. And this is played by Pedro Pascal, which is weird because it's played by Pedro Pascal, but you never see his face. So <laughs> you never see his face. And this is the show is famous for Baby Yoda because the first two seasons were largely Baby about Yoda? Baby Yoda, Kemi, Baby Yoda. So the, the first two seasons were largely about this, um, the relationship between him and this small Yoda baby creature and how they were coming together. And it was like they had this sort of like, uh, like, you know, almost sort of mission of the week structure where they would do different things. And underlined, you had this whole thing where they were coming, they were coming closer and closer together, almost like a family. And, and uh, yeah, yeah and the way that, so and i i complained because i saw the first two episodes a couple of weeks back with sean and i asked sean does it get any better because the first two episodes of this season i still maintain are not a good watch because the first what happened is i think at the end of season two they had brought the story to a place where the original driving force of the whole story which was the mandalorian and well to give him his given name grogu baby yoda that story had come to a to a to a natural place to stop and then the beginning of the season it's like them scrabbling around for oh my god what do we do now okay now we've got to we've got to restart the story and we've got to do this but it can be the story we told before so there's all this exposition at the beginning to try and set up a new thing to make it seem as important as the old thing and i will tend to somebody who's yelling at me right now and let sean talk sean what did you think okay well, yeah here we go i agree with what you say it was it was a little bit of a slow burn and i totally agree with you the first two episodes and i can i can see where you're coming from but did i tell you when you asked did i say to stick with it i think i did didn't i so yeah yeah you said um, you said stick with and, it you said stick with it yeah and and so it'd be interesting to did you did stick with it obviously um and yeah i mean what a what a what a great <laughs> what the, the penultimate and the last episode were just like super super payback star wars heaven everybody i've spoken to that has actually seen it has loved it they've said oh man that is like the best ever 
payoff. You know, it's just like it's it's all there. And yeah, no, it was great. It's one of the best things I've seen, I think, to do with 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 um the Star Wars franchise. So yeah, for me, it was a real payoff. But I know what you're saying about the first two episodes because I was I was with you a little bit. I was like, oh, I was, you know, where's this going? Where's this going? And then you get the oh, we're gonna we're gonna take it back, and it just like you know, it's just you didn't like it. I can see on your face, you're not so keen. Well, well, the, the, the problem was that I, it was it was kind of like what I loved about the first two seasons is that there was a simplicity to them. Yeah, there was there was a simplicity to them. There was uh, what's happening is this guy and this baby. They're trying to get from here there against the world. They're trying to see whether they can get some training. It was streamlined. It was it was like you know, and it very very much leaned into the Western tropes, into the whole thing of like because the the the, the Mandalorian is pretty much the man with no name, and like some of the shots and everything like that were very Western, and it was simple. It was lean, and then in this season, they seem to be trying to change it and turn it into almost like a Lord of the Rings type thing where it's no longer lean it's now a bit bigger it's now a bit oh this person and it almost seems as if they change the main character so when they're talking about the mandalorian it's like it's no longer about the original mandalorian but it's now almost as if the mandalorian that we're talking about is bo katan crease yeah i've never do you know yeah i've actually that's that's yeah I, do you know i never thought of that tozen but i can see where you're coming from now he's become very much from a loner to a, a sort of Team yeah. player, isn't he? Whereas before in the other series, he was a, he was a loner. Yeah, he was a Eastwood loner character. You know, the man with no name. But now yeah. he's uh, more uh, uh, like it, a magnificent seven, magnificent seven sort of character. You know, well, well, yeah, it, it's it's just changed. It, it's the the show has. I think the show has fundamentally changed. And yeah. and uh, and one of the big things I I've thought is like, okay, so you have Grogu, Baby Yoda. He's pretty much not in this season at no. all. Anytime you see him, he's supposed to be like some sort of like light relief or comic relief that I do not think works. Like, you no. know, the whole, yes, 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 yes. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, I yeah. Did with, not, I did not like that. With IG-95 or whatever. IG-11. Yeah, I was like, why the hell are you going back to him? Why the hell are you, why the hell are you going? Like, they, they keep doing things. They kept doing things in the show that I did not think made sense. Because first, okay, let's take the IG-11 thing. I was like, why? And the explanation for why they bring IG-11 back into the storyline, for me, does not work. I'm yeah. like, no, that doesn't work. And then what they eventually end up doing with IG-11, I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, why did you do that? And what happens is, okay, so so let me put it this way. With IG-11, I, I don't want to give I don't want to give too many spoilers, so Sean, I'm just going to say this for you. But there's a bit where I was looking at it going, Surely it is easier and quick for you to float around than to do that. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Good I, observation. I yeah, I was I like, mean... it's easy. Yeah, I, I, so, so, I, so for me, I think the show is trying to change what it is because yeah. I think they realized that after the first two seasons, they wrapped it up. They wrapped it up nicely. And then they had to figure out a way of getting this thing going again. And so they had to come up with a whole new story that they haven't really bothered about b beforehand, but they're now trying to get you invested in it. And it took about four episodes of eight before they actually got to the point of what they were trying to do with that story. And I think my favorite episodes of this was when it went back to almost like, you know, the thing of the week, like the bit where they go to that island, to the, they go to that planet where all the other Mandalorians are. And mm -hmm. they say, all the robots are going crazy. We need to figure out why the robots are going crazy. I really like that episode. And then when they went, okay, now we need to go, go back and take Mandalore. I was like, oh. But see, see, I mean, those all the all the ships, all the battles, all the thing that was proper, proper Star Warsy stuff. That's what you like to see. As I say, my favourite Star Wars movie is Rogue One. I mean, yeah, yeah no, those that, those last few episodes with the big battles where they're taking the planet back, and you've got all the all the X-wing and the different the Tie Fighters, and you've got all the the there, the, there were some bits, the, the, some bits the, in the Praetorian Guard and all that stuff. And yeah, no, I was in heaven and. Perhaps, okay. perhaps the plot, perhaps the plot wasn't quite as important for me as enjoying the action sequences. Mate, yeah, yeah, mate. I, I think I've done, I've done that whole old man thing again. I'm getting to the point where I'm like, I don't care how funky your action is. If there's no plot and I've, if there's plot I can get behind, I'm not with you. Although, yeah. Sean, Sean, saying as you like Rogue One, have you watched Andor? And I'm not keen on that. I watched, watched a couple it and I, and I gave up. 
Okay, all right, cool, cool. Okay, watch Two of Andor, and I wasn't. Oh, if you've watched that, you'll have to. Maybe I might try and do it again. I found it very slow. Oh no, I haven't watched any of it because. Oh, you quite frank, I haven't watched any of it because, quite frankly, a lot of Star Wars nowadays I cannot be bothered with. No, 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 no. <laughs> I cannot I'm be bothered I'm with. Down down I, hard. I wasn't so keen on Obi Wan, yeah. but this last episode of Mando, I loved it because the. I mean, it was. Those past few episodes, the action was 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 first class, you know. Um, I'll give you that there were some good action scenes. There were some good action scenes in it, but it's but all in all, for me, it was at most a three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's it's, it's a big four for me. I mean, I take on board and I totally appreciate what you're saying with and the observations you've made. I hadn't really noticed, but I, I can now. Now, now you've pointed them out, I can actually see what what you're saying with the. Uh, you're right. I didn't. He didn't need IG, did he? He didn't need IG because he, he, he was. was quite, I mean, was I mean, when, they get, when, when, when those when those Praetorian guards were after him, he was he was sort of, you know, <laughs> avoiding everything, wasn't he? Really, about stuck in that. That's even a bit. That's, you're more likely to get hit. And no, no, yes, yes. Then anyway, perhaps it was perhaps it was so he could get they could get him to move about. Maybe perhaps it was. Um... <laughs> yeah. Oh, and also, also the animation or the movement of Grogu moving around, hate it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it looks horrible. I think it looks horrible. I think it looks amateurish. And, uh, but never mind. Never mind. Yeah, okay. yeah. No, no, no. That's it. I know. Posing. I take on board exactly what you say, and I can see, see, see where you're coming from. Totally see where you're coming from. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, but 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 anyway, I will always give that show props for being the thing that brought me back into Star Wars because after the rise mm. of Skywalker, oh. I was out. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was out. All right, but anyway, let's move on to cinema and let's talk about the unlikely pilgrimage of Harold Fry. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so Sharon, please take it away. Yeah, it is based on a best-selling novel, which I will have to tell you, I haven't read. Oh, there's <laughs> one. There is one. <laughs> I haven't read it. <laughs> but it is basically the story, so I can't do a compare and contrast like I normally do. It is just the film that I can review. Uh, it is a story of an, it starts off with an elderly couple, Harold and his wife, I believe her name is Marion, though it might have gone, but yeah, an ordinary sort of suburban couple. They're living in South Devon in a bungalow where um, quite a, a stark existence, it seems like, because when you look into their house, everything is spotless. There's no, or there's no pictures on the walls. There's no ornaments. It's literally just setty armchairs, television, that's it in the front room. There's, their lives look almost like quite stark. And then one day, a handwritten letter is delivered to the house, which is quite unusual because they don't get correspondence. And this letter is from a former uh, friend of Harold's who he hasn't seen for 30, 40 years. And it's basically telling him that she's now in a hospice in Berwick-on-Tweed and at, that she's receiving end-of-life care. And she just wanted to basically say goodbye and that she valued their friendship that they had many years ago. And Harold decides that he's going to write back to say that I'm really sorry about this news, but, you know, sending you my best regards from Harold. And one morning he goes out to post it and he walks to the nearest post office at the post box and thought, thinks, oh, I don't know. So then he thinks, I'll walk to the next post box and I'll post it there. I just need to think about this quite if this is the right thing to do. And then he walks to the next post office and the post box and he decides, actually, I'm still not sure. So he then walks to the next, keeps walking to the next post box. Next post box. And then he basically has this sort of moment where he thinks, I'm not going to post this letter. I'm going to take it to her and I'm going to walk there. I'm going to walk from South Devon to Berwick-upon-Tweed, wow. which is, as someone says in the, in the film, that's 500 miles. And he takes nothing with him. He basically just starts walking. And the end of the first day, he calls his wife and says, I'm going to walk to see Queenie. Queenie is his friend of his. And looking back at history, if you look at pilgrimages, um, they're normally done for sort of several reasons. There's, um, and there's a quest element to it. You're looking to find something at the end of your pilgrimage, or you're doing it for some sort of penance. Or you're, you're looking for something, you're looking for an answer to something by going on this pilgrimage, it's, it's an emotional journey. So there's like these three elements and they all do combine in Harold's story. And so as he, as he walks, 
he encounters different people and each person he meets he gets something different from them one of them is a man who um sort of almost like he's a sweet, once a confidant he's a, a young man who's been a drug addict and he's looking for a father figure and there's another woman who's a an, an immigrant who was a doctor in her own country but now she's cleaning and she takes him in and sort of looks after him and it's like the kindness of strangers and the further he walks the more he sort of leaves behind um he decides that he's not going to because initially he sort of stays in b&b's and hotels and he uses his credit cards to buy himself what he needs and then he decided to know that he's actually doesn't want to make it easy on himself he wants to do it as simply as possible so he posts back his cards his credit cards his wallet his phone and his watch to his wife and says I'm going to walk to there and I I'm going to rely entirely upon either what I can find, what I can forage or what people have given me. I'm going to do this in a different way. And so he basically starts walking and you see sort of different points on the way. You see him arriving at Exeter and then he lands at, like, walks through Bath and then you see him in Sheffield and he's sort of walking throughout the country. And he's doing this quite happily, just literally relying upon the kinds of strangers, sleeping in barns. Um, he finds a sleeping bag, sort of sleeps in the woods. Um, he just makes his way up country, but then he meets this one guy who says, oh, can I take your picture? And then he contacts the papers and suddenly he becomes this like mini celebrity where everyone who, where he goes, is like, you're hell fly. <laughs> and we're going to walk with you. And then before he knows it, this sort of, he's becomes like the head pilgrim in this sort of Canterbury Tales, sort of all these people suddenly swarm around him. And it's like the, like a mini Glastonbury everywhere he goes, where they set up tents. It sounds very Forrest Gump. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, exactly, exactly yeah. I was going to say, is that the same toes? Yeah, so it's, yes, it has those elements where he sort of draws, where he's sort of just like running along, doesn't people just start running with him, and this oh, is no, where, this is where they start walking with him, and this sort of circus of, of, of peers around him, basically, and, yeah, he sort of, he has these sort of encounters, and it's there's when he gets this sort of collection of people around him, he realises that, People are sort of investing in him, their own ideas of what it should be about. But really, all he wants to do is walk to see to see Queenie, and he lets and all these other people are doing it for. They're just like joining him, and he's like, no, no, no. And one of them in the end says that you've got to leave all this behind. This is slowing you down. This is taking your too much of your time. Is it? Is it behind and go? Hmm. Sharon, can I ask you, is it always good weather or does he ever get caught out in the rain? And, um, rain and stuff? Yeah, there is rain and there is sort of bad weather. A lot of it is it's set in the autumn because he's eating blackberries. So it's sort of like end of summer, autumn. But yeah, he, there is rain, there is cold and you, you see him sort of sort of a bit miserable at times. But yeah, so, so it's like this pilgrimage and he does, he does make it to the end, but I won't tell you about it. But on the way, you do see him examining the elements of his life that what has caused him the most pain and um, one of them is the relationship with his son and in some to some degrees the, the sort of how him and his wife have become sort of like they're, they're together but they've never they're separate they li their lives are like running parallel with each other that they don't really interact as one of them says you know we haven't really been married for 25 years and then you look back and you see his back through these sort of backstory what happened sort of 25 years ago that caused this not enough to separate them as in that they left each other they still stay no. together but there's always this like barrier invisible barrier between them and it's both of them um sort of work through with their, their history together so he's harold is walking and she's sort of we're looking for walking through it not moving but going on a similar journey uh, so it's interesting how they use these parallels um between the ideas of old pilgrimage, you know, you, that you have a quest, you're seeking something, and you're, you're seeking redemption, or you're seeking, a, you're, or you're offering it as a penance. And so there's those elements running through it, that yeah, he's seeking something, he wants to see Queenie. He's seeking repentance because of something that happened in the past. And, you know, that, that quest element, that looking for peace. So there's those, all those elements are in it, which, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Cool. So, uh, oh, sorry. I'm muted. You can't hear me. So, what did you think of it? <laughs> yeah, I like yeah. part of me because it's not religious. He's not a religious man. And um, part of me is thinking, as a Christian watching it, I understand about pilgrimage means as a Christian. 
and ultimately you're seeking the face of God, aren't you? Or you're seeking some sort of um, something in your faith. Where he's a man without faith, to me, I couldn't. To me, it's that it's a bit pointless. So that's just me. <laughs> yep. And so I thought it was interesting, but ultimately I'll be like, oh, it's pointless if you're just doing it. Uh, yeah. So I didn't find it any had any sort of spiritual depth to it. I found it interesting in terms of that he went on this emotional journey and he sort of reconciled himself to sort of elements of his past. But it, to me, it lacked any of that sort of spiritual element of that reconciliation or that penance or um, uh, seeking a greater understanding of their place in the world. So I found that dissatisfying because I thought when, when you see pilgrimage, I'm thinking, oh, hopefully there'd be some sort of like spiritual revelation. And there isn't. So Is me, it Jim Broadbent? Is it Jim Broadbent? Jim Broadbent, yeah. Yeah, see, I, I, I mean, with Jim Broadbent, ooh, I got a bit ooh, fed ooh, up with this? him. Yeah, I, 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 I got a bit fed up with him. <laughs> Can I, I say that? Say I was going to say, this is Sean. Sean's, Sean's about to sort of lambast another national beloved treasure. <laughs> You're going to put him I on the same on the shelf with Stanley Tucci. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, national treasures. I know it's horrible. Um, what, what they call him, iconoclast, isn't it? Or something. Yeah. So I think for me, it was slightly dissatisfying. And again, he was likable, but he is like his character is like trademark Jim Bent, likable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so he wasn't like a curmudgeon, the old man, because he was like this mellow, mild old man. People probably would help him if he'd been an old curmudgeon stomping along. People probably wouldn't, maybe not have been as kind. But anyway, I find it was an interesting film. It, it made me think about different things. Probably not what they, what the, the filmmaker or the writer intended. But no, I liked it. But I would only give it a three. Yeah. Because I thought it was engaging for what it was, but ultimately it left me slightly um, dissatisfied with it on a. On anything any on any deeper level to me it was it was interesting but it didn't actually go any deeper yeah um, than, I, than i thought it could have done all right so three stars for the unlikely pilgrimage of harold fry longest title this week and <laughs> so it's a title you have to think before you say it each time you're like the uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right and now we go back to netflix and friends and now we're with apple tv plus apple tv plus and this is ghosted starring chris evans and anna de armas so this is a film that oh, Sean's already kind of like, ooh. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like that, that's like a Pavlovian thing now. Anytime you say, you say Anna D. Amas, Sean just goes, ooh. <laughs> what happens if I say Mia Goth? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right, cool. So Florence um, Pugh, they're my top three. So who is the third person? Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh, oh yeah, that's Florence Pugh as well. And uh, it's kind of like you have like your ooh, you have your, you have your um, lauded actresses bench, which is like Florence Pugh, Anna D. Almas, and uh, Mia Goth, and the, you only ever seem to have hatred for male actors with your Stanley Tucci's, <laughs> your Jim Broadbent. <laughs> you know, everybody loves them. It's a lie. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah. All right, so so um. No, that? I didn't like. I there are some male actors I like. My top male actors, contemporary actors, would be Brad Pitt and Leonardo. Yeah, I like yeah, them. Yeah. Uh, so, so um, anyway, what was I? Yeah, Anna Diarmas and Chris Evans are in this movie, and the whole idea behind this is that they meet. They meet. It's like a sort of the meet cute, and it starts off looking like also almost romantic comedy ish. He's a guy who is a farmer. He works on a family farm, and he's at a farmer's market. And he said, and then, and then Anna Diamas walks in, and he's like, "Ooh!" And so he goes and does this whole thing where he's trying to sell her a fl he's trying to sell her a plant. Yeah, he essentially, he has a Sean reaction. He has a Sean reaction to Anna Diamas walking in, and and he goes to try and sell her a plant, and then they have this whole thing where the it doesn't quite go that well when he's trying to sell her a plant, and there's this whole thing about trying to have the plant as a metaphor for what's going on in her life and whether she looks after the lice and because he's recently been dumped and so he has all these issues with her and then someone afterwards sort of points out to him and goes you you idiot you don't realize that she was flirting with you he's like what he's like she was flirting with you and he's like oh so so he goes after her after the initial thing and it's all very romantic comedy-ish and and it then for the first bit of the movie the first 20 minutes or so it seems like it's trying to be you know before sunrise where it's essentially like you know how you had Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy just walking around Paris chatting 
that's what this film is for the first 20 minutes. It's just them walking around Washington, D.C., having this date, a bit like the Harold Fry thing, where they go, oh, yeah, oh, you know what? Let's just go out for lunch. Okay, no, let's go out for a coffee. Oh, let's go out for lunch. Oh, there's this bar. No, let's go for a drink. Oh, let's go out for dinner. Oh, yeah, let's go. Oh, do you want to come back to my place? And, uh, and it just carries on like that, like the, the first 20 minutes of the movie are, are, are that. Does it does then, it compare with Roy Lane at all, that sort of that's Heck no. So, okay. no, 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 I didn't think so. I didn't think so. <laughs> no, Rylane is so much more better and so much more. Rylane is so much more better. It's so much more naturally feeling. It feels like it flows. Mm. I think there's better chemistry between the leads in that. And and in Rylane, everybody looks like they have their own hair. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> because there, there is a really weird thing that has gone on. And it was one of you know you know Sean how you know how you notice things in films and you start complaining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I rarely ever notice something that really gets up my nose, unless it's going to be something to do with, like, you know, getting the geography of Africa wrong or referring to Africa like, you know, it's a country. That, yeah. uh, but, but there's this scene, there's a scene in there where they, they talk, I, I want to call it, it's about the exorcist steps because they talk about this, they have this thing about, oh, this is, this is where they filmed the exorcist and everything like that. They, they, this scene where they have it, and I was watching it, and they have the close up of Anna Diamas, and I was like, what is up with her hairline? There is something really wrong with that hair. What is going on there? And and I was like, and I look at her going, oh my god, yeah, she must be wearing a wig. And I'm thinking, but I'm thinking, why is she wearing a wig? It's Anna Diamas. She has lovely hair. Why would she be wearing a wig? And 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 I just thought that I let let it go. And I turned out that it turns out this is like a big massive thing. People are talking about this film online, going. Why the hell? Oh my God! Couldn't they get to find a better wig? And it's so distracting. It's so distracting. Oh but, wow! But then it turns out that he tries to get in touch with her after the date. He tries to send her a message and say, "Oh, so great! It was great meeting you and all that kind." Of, and she, and this is where the title comes from because Sean Sharon. I'm not sure if you know this, but the kids nowadays, if you try, if you go on a date with somebody, and you try and get in touch with them and they don't get back in touch with you, it is called being ghosted. Uh-huh. That's what they said. That they, like it's big, and so that's what the that's what I only found this up like you know like a year ago, but that's what the title comes from. That like he he gets ghosted, and he thinks, oh my god, oh maybe I've put her off or anything like that. And through a through a variety of different things, he gets convinced. Through through to because of filmic reasons, he can somehow track where she is, which is not problematic at all. The fact that you go on a date with one person that you can track her, not problematic at all. He can track where she is, and then he finds out that she's in London. And he decides to fly all the way to London to surprise her, from America to surprise her. At which point it turns out that she is essentially James Bond. <laughs> exactly. At which point it turns out that she's James Bond. She is a CIA super spy. She's a CIA super spy and I can't remember what her name is, the something man. And he gets confused for being that this CIA super spy that the bad guys are looking for. He gets captured, and then it, be- it turn tries to turn into a romp, which is like you know, a romance in the stone James Bond adventure, where they go around the world, they go to Pakistan, they go to all these different countries, and all the all the while it's supposed to be a romantic comedy while they're figuring stuff out between each other. That is the complicated story of this film, and then from then on, it does what it does. Now, this is a very weird film in that it's directed by Dexter Fletcher. Almost everybody yeah. who's in this film, I'm like, this is this is a, these are good people. Anna Diarmas, Chris Evans, yes, great. but it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. the The chemistry between them is stilted. There's bits where I don't understand. I know, okay, so Anna Diarmas, I can't remember exactly where she's from, but obviously, I don't think English is not her first language. And there's scenes where it feels like they they've edited them in such a way that it makes it really obvious that English is not her first language, if you get what I mean. So they've entered it in such a way where somebody will say a line and then there'll be this random pause of a second longer than it should be. Then she'll say her line. And then, and I'm like, what what the heck is going on here? And I think it's it's a kind of, let me put it this way. It it made me want to go back and watch all 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 of Dexter Fletcher's other films and see if he's actually a good director (laughs) because I actually think he is a good director. I mean, I like Sunshine on Leith. He directed that. I think well, uh, Bill, excellent film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and but this is this was just a weird kind of film that made me want to go back and go, hang on, did did I get this wrong? Is this guy not good? Because this film is kind of shoddily edited. It's well, it's shoddily edited. It's weirdly directed, and you it's supposed to be a romp. 
you can see it's a, it has rump written all over it. It has everything in place for it to be a rump, and it doesn't work. Like the 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 bickering between them back and forth doesn't work. The end set piece that comes up doesn't work. The one bit of the film where I thought, okay, this is beginning to take off. This is beginning to take off. Is that they have a whole bunch of cameos, a bit like Sean. If you remember Bullet Train, yeah. You know how Bullet Train had all these cameos in it. Yeah. They have this, but but there's they they have this scene which I call is almost like a cameo chain, where they they do it's a bit kind of like John Wick where there's a whole bunch of assassins and everything like and how they hand off from one person to the other to the other person and there's all these cameos and I, that bit I actually thought was quite funny and I thought where is it we'll tell you in a second Kemi and and I thought that I thought okay this is beginning to work but then it stops and then there's a bit at the end where they have one other random cameo that doesn't link to anything else that happened in the film and it looks like it was just there for the sake of it then when i started thinking about it i was thinking i think they had to, they did some rewrites or they did some reshoots because right. way, because this character shows up and then he starts he starts referring to stuff that i think it was supposed to be in another area of the film but never happened it's like no it was like <laughs> and so it's just this weird thing where it's the, it's the stereotypical thing of you feel like the people who were making this film were having way more fun making the film than you were having watching it. And I I cannot in any good conscience, as much as I love everybody who's involved, involved in this film, give it any more than two stars. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh. It, wow. It, it, it's, which, is, which is a shame because when I saw the, when I saw the tithe, when I saw the, the synopsis for the film, I thought, oh, yeah, well, that could make a good film. Oh, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, Anna Diamas, ever since she showed up in um, that Bond movie, Kicking Some yeah. Butts, it's like, you know, they've been giving us some more butt-kicking stuff. It's quite good. Um, uh, she does the butt-kicking quite well. She does the butt-kicking quite well. But, okay, can we go get that? But everything else, I just, I just think just the film just doesn't work. Anyway, it's, it's a bit like Van Helsing in that respect. But anyway... That is us done for the. That's us done for this week. And quickly before I get I get driven mad by somebody saying daddy daddy daddy. Who do you think has won this week? I think it's got to be cinema. I think it's got to be. Yep. Got to be cinema. Sharon? Cinema. Yeah, yeah, it was cinema. <laughs> cinema, because I think uh, I think. Well, I was gonna say. Netflix and Friends didn't even make it up to a four, but I mean, Sharon did give the Mandalorian a four, and I said yeah. no, and I diluted that score. <laughs> I diluted that score, but uh, but but yeah, yeah, we had four for the Musketeers D'Artagnan, three for Evil Dead Rise, three for Harold Fry, three three and a half, and two on the Netflix side of things. So cinema has won, yay! Yay! Cinema. Vive la revolution! <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, cool, good stuff. So. So until then, until next week, when we'll see if I'm able to do a podcast recording by myself without anybody else in the room with me, and in which we should all, we should, there should be four of us on here, and we should all have seen Guardians God of the man. Galaxy Volume Three, which we shall all be, which we shall all have a big, massive, probably twenty-minute discussion about. Um, <laughs> it is a, it is a goodbye from me. Uh, it's a goodbye from me. And a goodbye from me. Thank you very much for joining us. Goodbye.